Hello and welcome to the Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney. I'm Laurie Eaves. And I'm Hannah Hutzbeck. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from the spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Hannah's cat, who is here as a guest host. No, I'm joking. <laughs> this month we'll be interviewing Sam J. Woo! Grudgings. Woo! Hey. <laughs> and hearing a poem from Joss Affleck. And we'll be giving you a sneak preview of our book review episode, where we'll be chatting about Bless the Daughter Raised by the Voice in Her Head by Warsan Shire, and that'll be out later in the month. But first, what have you guys been up to since last month? Mate. You know what I've been doing? Do you know what no, I've been doing, Rebecca? I've been going to some poetry nights. What? I've been to several poetry nights since yeah. the last recording. Yeah. That's crazy. We never do this anymore. <laughs> but I have. I don't know whether it's a New Year's resolution or just I've had a bit of energy, but I've managed to go to three in the last however long, which is more than I have been. So that's pretty good. I went to Hammer and Tongue... Hackney for the first time in about seven or eight years. I don't know if you guys have been there recently. I've literally, at all. I've literally never made it there, which is like I go all the way to Cambridge to go to Hammer and Tongue, but I've not made it. To Hackney. Yeah, it's I've really been to weird. the Cambridge one several times, <laughs> and yet never, never quite made it as far as Hackney until this month, where I managed to go down and had a really nice time, and they had a feature of a guy called Poet RS who was fantastic, really brought it on the mic and just a really nice they did an interesting thing of having their feature did two short sets which i think was an interesting way of doing it i haven't seen that done before kind of you'll have a little flavor and then if you hate it you can leave no (laughs) ideally you stay and listen to the second part a bit later and that was really nice and then off the back of that got contacted to go to by someone who was at the gig asking if I wanted to come to their night. And I'm so glad that's happening again because I am sick of the days of not knowing what's going on. It's so nice to have people actually reach out and go, I'm doing a thing, do you want to come? So I went to a night called Postponed Poetry, which I don't know how to describe this night to you. It was wicked, but it was in a warehouse that was also people's living space. So it was a warehouse where 13 people were living, where just we pulled up literally like a chair and some sofas to do some poetry and put a kettle on. And it was awesome. I had such a nice night. It was wicked to do like a living room kick for the first time in bloody ages, which was nice. And then the other day I went to go see a show called Poetry and Poppadoms, which was on in Wood Green, not very far from me, where Paul Cree was featuring. Paul Cree's always great and it was his first set in a little while and Michael Rosen was also there and it was just a joy seeing Michael Rosen Mm -hmm. I've never seen him before it just you feel like you've kind of quizzed in by seeing Michael Rosen because he was so (laughs) unwell and it was really touch and go for a while so Mm. it was lovely to kind of see him and and he's just such a such a such a nice man. He's lovely. I, just, I, hey. I, I quite enjoyed his poems, but I just more enjoyed his presence. <laughs> it was great. It was just very, very lovely. So that's been really it's nice. It's also one of those things, if you could say to eight-year-old self, I got to go see this writer, eight-year-old self would know who it is and be quite excited. And yeah. that's, that's just always nice. Like, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was nice. I don't know if this goes in the episode or not, but there was another poet at one of the nights I've mentioned, I'm not going to say which one, where 
this poet, bless her, was shaking like a leaf on the on the stage, which I haven't seen for a little while. Aww. Like to the point, like the mic was picking it up. Oh, wow. And bless her, she was so good, so good. But like <laughs> clearly, like really nervous and just like. If this poet is listening and knows it's them, like you smashed it, well done. Yeah, <laughs> like... but I, there isn't there isn't a correlation necessarily between how like experienced or how good you are and how nervous you get. Like Rob Orton, who I think yeah. probably mm. most listeners will know. Yeah. Like I I have seen like yeah the piece of paper like proper proper flapping in his hand before he goes on, and then he will kill it. Yeah, an amazing headline set. Like it's yeah yeah. It's 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 yeah. it's not yeah. a yeah. It's, it, the, the two don't color, don't correlate like yeah. you say Hannah like and just yeah uh, it was it was really nice to see someone sort of starting out and maybe feeling a bit nervous but still doing it anyway I really it's it's nice to still see people coming through when you're old and <laughs> boring like us and never go to any poetry nights <laughs> <laughs> Hannah how about you I have not been doing loads to be honest i i like to think of my creativity as like a cactus rather than a fussy orchid i can ignore it and come back to it and it'll still be okay (laughs) i i've had a yeah yeah like i i started a new job towards the end of last year which i'm still adjusting to there's been like travel for sad purposes i have done fuck Mm. all and i'm gonna say that on record (laughs) 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 and that's okay (laughs) Becca, how about you? Celebrate it. Me too. Less triumphantly. My brain has been doing the big sad things. And yeah, I haven't done a lot. But yeah, going to try and go to, by the time this goes out, I'm hoping I will have been to process tomorrow. I'm going to try and drag my ass to that and be sociable. Cool. How about you, Sam? What have I been up to? The most recent event I went to was Tonic, which is a night in Bristol where it's called a scratch night. So like you go one month, get a prompt. And then you have to write something in a month and come back the next, perform it. And then Ooh. the audience asks you questions about your process. So it's like super engaging. And then the audience generates wow. prompts for the next month. And the headliner was 1990s Chris. I don't know if you guys know him. He's like... A, I've heard of, uh, he's, yeah. He's, he's just left. I mean, it was kind of like his, his almost his kind of last hurrah because he's gone off to Canada to do this film this film festival thing but he's a working class queer poet mm. who is just this most engaging and warm presence talking about like mm. bisexuality while presenting as like a very mask mask chap and like genuinely speaking mm. I knew him outside of poetry and I was like oh you do poetry me too which is really nice so like mm-hmm. we've, we've had a long running friendship and he's one of those people who I've kind of I think he's a couple of years younger than me but I've always looked at it as like being a fantastic representation of a queer man just fucking being the absolute best and like someone who I've genuinely gone I'm not going to quite model myself on you he's a bit more astute than I am yeah. much better beard but like genuinely just is a kind of way of being really honest with himself I've been like oh that's what it looks like that's how it can present and I was yeah so it was a big sad time we said him a goodbye poem where I had the audience shouting along and yeah that was it other than that just been painting and kind of sitting in my feelings and writing a bit and that's been about it but it's been quite mm-hmm. nice with the sadness of the months and the still uncertainty of being out in the real world which I'm still not I'm still mm-hmm. not into it yet I like I go oh yeah I'm going to gigs but I'm not back up to speed of where I was as yet but getting there slowly yeah yeah I, I definitely find things more knackering mm-hmm. than I used to I just I'm like yes yes out in the world out in the world 
okay. And I don't know if it's just also that I got old in that period as well. But yeah, ancient. I don't know. I don't know if I just got more antisocial or if there's, yeah, there's an the pandemic made me more antisocial. I don't know. That we kind of have to. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel like then, I feel like. I go to gigs and then I don't, it used to be like a skimming stone. You go to one gig and someone mm. would say to you, oh, on Tuesday, I'm doing this, come down. You go, okay, you go on Tuesday. And then someone say, oh, on Thursday, we've got this going on. Mm. Come on to that. And it feels like that, that model or that kind of very loose infrastructure just hasn't quite returned in the same way. And so even when I do go to a gig, I'm, that, that momentum doesn't yeah. build. That I kind of, physical, I'm going to go to the next thing. If physical flyers dying a death has been part of that, because I think it, a lot of it switched Ooh, to online, I but I, so. I have a, so many friend yeah. requests from people who I haven't actually had a conversation with, so I've just kind of left them until I bump into the person mm. and have a conversation, and then I'll accept it. I think it's moved very online in a way that we don't quite... <laughs> but also that Facebook has sort of become less used at Facebook events. Yeah, Facebook events has completely died, hasn't it? That's And yeah. that's killed. Because there was a time where that was it. That was what we were relying on, on to make it going on online. And now it's just not at all. Mm-hmm. It's completely changed. I think it's just the other thing in London is we've lost the Poetry Cafe. Mm. Like, we've just yeah. lost this venue where stuff would be on. It's completely oh, really? gone, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. gone, yeah. yeah. That used to, uh, you would always, there would always be something yeah, yeah, yeah. going on. And that's gone. And, like, nights that were very long running just either never came back or they did come back, but then some of them haven't survived. There seems to be no rhyme or reason to mm. it. Like... Why didn't Spoken Word London survive, but Genesis does? I thought that was a night for a second, <laughs> Rhyme or Reason. I was like, what's that night? Oh, Rhyme or Reason running? does sound like yeah. a good, good title for that a night. I bet, a, I bet yeah. you somebody's already that got it. That is a pun that has not been <laughs> taken, my God. Or a bit of wordplay that has not been taken. I know. It, it surely oh, has been that taken. that could have been the podcast name. <laughs> somebody is going to message us. <laughs> in two days in two days time hannah you're going to get an ad from somebody on facebook and if you run if a listeners run a night called rhyme or reason let us know and we will fucking come to it <laughs> Actually, at this point, yeah. i bet it's in canada i bet it's in canada we're gonna have to like bunk up with 1990s chris <laughs> i've got i've got family in toronto okay <laughs> magic yeah. we're sorted <laughs> talking of nights cool. yes it's time for our hot topic <laughs> So the hot topic that we want to chat about this month was charging for open mic nights and charging fees on the door. And this was something that kind of Laurie initially brought up and then something popped up on my Facebook feed this week, which made me think of it. So, yeah, Laurie, what was it that made you think about this originally? Yeah, similarly, I've gotten too sucked in by social media, but somebody, some a, a poet, I think it was Steve Tassane originally actually put it online, saying something along the lines of, there's a night I want to go to, but they're charging a tenner, which feels too much really for what it is. And I thought it's interesting that in poetry, we sort of have these unspoken rules about what is too much and what isn't too much. Mm. Like we could, we can kind of all tacitly agree that 20 quid for a night would be insane. Mm. Like I don't, unless mm. it was like a big theater show, 20 20 pounds sort of immediately feels like oh I don't know if I if I've ever seen much poetry at that maybe a one person show in a proper theatre I think I might have paid that to see Andrea Gibson in Brighton touring yeah 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 yeah, maybe maybe we did play play that for Andrea Gibson when we went a few years ago you're right where 
I guess the question of the hot topic is, how do we feel about nights that charge? I mean, we've run nights where we have charged. We've run nights where we haven't charged. I'm talking about the three three of us together. Mm-hmm. We 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 are promoters. We've put on events where we have charged. We put on events where we haven't charged. We put on this podcast where we don't charge. But we also are all constantly having this argument about people in the arts should be paid. <laughs> yeah. So where do you where do yeah. where do we all what are we all feeling about that and and what is too much or too little? Hannah, Hannah, I remember when you ran Whippersnapper. Mm. You used to do a pay what you want thing and I remember you saying to me people will look at the hat on the way in give us nothing and then go and spend a tenner on a cocktail at the bar Mm -hmm. and maybe you could fork out for a couple of quid at that point if you're gonna which I I can kind of see the argument it's it's tricky because yeah I think people have an impression how much money is circulating that is not based on reality and obviously if you buy two pints you've probably spent the best part of a tenner in a London venue these days Mm-hmm. And people probably... I'm sorry, if you're getting changed for a tenner from two pints... At... In a London yeah. pub, you've yeah. done all right. you drinking? Yeah. I've, I've switched to Shandy's and they still keep getting confused and telling me for two drinks anyway. But yeah, like people will spend that amount on food and drink without thinking very hard about it. But then they, you will have the like, ooh, more than a fiver, ooh, I don't know, um, from quite a lot of people. At the same yeah. time, finding a venue that is available hopefully free or at least affordable then people want ones that are accessible physically like you you are working with an increasingly shrinking Mm -hmm. pool of possible spaces to be in and then the artists want to get paid and fair fucking dues the audience don't want to pay a lot and fair fucking Mm -hmm. dues and the promoters in the middle have a featured artist yeah so i think paying for an paying to perform for open mic is a is a whole yeah is is its own kind of splinter discussion I think to some extent, or I think you should get a discount. Yeah, if you're some be nights performing. charge you less if you're yeah. performing, or but but that in itself is 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 not free, is it? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know. I've I've been at venues where I, as the performer, had a grouchy pub landlord turn up to me and go, "Look, if you're not drinking, you should go," because I did not mm-hmm. physically have a drink in my hand. <laughs> The landlord, it was me uh-huh. and Antonio Jade King, and we were the youngest people in the venue by far, and the landlord uh-huh. just tapped us on the shoulder and was like, if you're not drinking, and I was like, I'm, I'm literally the, the headliner, and she was like, yeah, but you need to buy something. So <laughs> there's, there's the economies wow. of the wow. venue, there's the economies of the night, and then there is... Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I've I've had people like ask me for advice on how to get published and then take a photo of my book on their phone and not buy it off me. Like I think there is this impression <laughs> of where the <laughs> money will at some point yeah. come from. Uh-huh. And yeah. at the same time, I also don't have a lot of money to spare and I also want these nights to run whether or not you can afford to fork it. I don't know. I don't I've know. I've introduced this topic and we've, uh, the, our collective response is a sigh, I think. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Sam, what do you think? What are your, what, what do you have any thoughts around this topic, which has become a very nebulous question? <laughs> it's a tough one. I think definitely Hannah hit the kind of nail on the head with the accessibility thing in Bristol. Hmm intentionally or otherwise i don't like to think human society is designed in such a way to exclude people but i think it's just the process of it the venues in bristol that aren't that 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 are accessible completely accessible charge a premium for hiring out the routes 
there's a lot of like listed buildings in Bristol, mm. which like pubs and stuff like that, that cannot be made accessible because mm. they're grade two listed buildings. Yeah. And you go, oh, well, we're an opening night. We'll draw in a crowd. And you go in there and go, we'll charge less because it's not it's not accessible and there's no door and then you look into the door cuts and stuff like this and it's this huge horrible thing yeah. to do if places are going to be more expensive for having accessibility then there is a question that needs to be done at a more structural level which we as poets are not able to do so mm. by and large I, I think taking from the kind of punk community in bristol my favorite thing to do in terms mm. of I, I when i was 16 so 17 odd years ago it was a fiver to go to the local village hall and see five punk bands play that was 16 years ago yeah if we kind of assume on that basis charging five pounds is not really feasible in terms of all the costs that are in in there at all i think people just have this idea in mind for a poetry night the fiver is fine and like i'm inclined to agree i want to make mm. sure that people can get here but what the punk community in bristol have done is on every flyer they put out on every piece of promo they say tickets are seven pounds eight pounds whatever it may be however they have a little acronym called not a loft which is no one turned away for lack of funds and it includes a little message saying mm. drop us a message if mm. entry costs are a barrier in any way size shape or form but they're kind of still yeah. still have the same issues we're going there are six or seven venues in bristol that are fully accessible the rest just aren't and you go mm. do we put these shows on here and provide a streaming service yeah then do we have to like pay mm. the costs all these costs add up so yeah in terms of an open mic i think a hat, a hat at the end is is kind of perfectly acceptable. Most places will be at a place where you go, cool, we're going to go to a pub and the idea is provided we get 50 quid on the bar, 100 quid on the bar, we don't have to pay for it. But that yeah. hat at the end is just to kind of go, this goes to any cost that we may incur. This allows us to potentially grow as a night yeah. and stuff like that. But the economy the the economics of it all is is a minefield that i wouldn't i don't don't want to have to 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 have to navigate like it's it's <laughs> it's one of those things where i look at people still running these nights and finding these accessible venues and developing relationships like tonic have specifically said mm. we're not running a night unless it's accessible we're just not doing it and they work mm. with rough trade now which is a record store like and they've got a venue in there and it's completely mm. accessible you're like oh shit yeah. it is doable mm. their ticket prices have gone up by mm. like 3 quid as a result though so it's like going is there going to be anyone like what? Yeah. yeah. Accessibility of money versus accessibility of yeah. the physical space. Yeah, it's, it's a challenging one. The other thing is, I yeah. don't know if this is an argument for more poetry nights to be applying for, say, Arts Council funding, and then you can pay your act and pay your venue and potentially not have to charge on the door or not have to charge a lot on the door. Personally, with my ADHD ass, I have every single time I look at one of those forms, my brain goes into screensaver and I wake up two hours later having been mm. fucking about on my phone doing nothing useful and there is a barrier to entry mm. to me for doing the admin, but that's yeah. not to say that that is not potentially a workaround, though then with Arts Council, anything you have to demonstrate. A lot of funders want you to demonstrate yeah. all kinds of other things that you would not necessarily be doing if you just wanted to be like, I want to put on a good night and be able to pay people. They want to have, mm. are you working with this disadvantaged group and can you demonstrate your impact? Yeah. Or, like It always gets tied up to with all other things and then spirals. Mm. And I think the paying people is a really interesting point because I've definitely been to events that were charging to get in and I've been asked to feature <gasps> and I've been given £5 for expenses. Oh. <sighs> Fuck them. Yeah. At least we're not at the stage where the venue are taking a cut of your book book sales and your merch sales like they are yeah. for music. That's a good Don't point. Don't give them ideas. Cut that bit so, out. Don't give them ideas. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. Saw the OCs a few years ago and it was like, we're not doing any merch in here. We're going to, because the venue take a cut, we're going to go to the pub next door. Come wow. join us in the pub and we will sell you a Absolutely. t-shirt there. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> but great. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know what? I bought a t-shirt, which I wouldn't probably wouldn't have done in the venue. Nice. We've not answered our hot topic, but we've certainly talked about it. It's almost like poets aren't the people for empirical answers, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's almost like that. You're right. <laughs> But if there is a poet that would be giving us empirical answers, I think it's going to be our interviewee. <laughs> Fuck, you put me on the spot. Shall we do an interview? Shall we find out? Let's do an interview. Duh, nah, nah. This month's interview is with Sam J. Grudgings. Paranormal investigator and erotic doomsday prophet Sam J. Grudgings is a queer poet from Bristol, shortlisted for the Outspoken Poetry Prize. Suffering an attraction to loud noises, bright lights and the strange found in the deep of everyone, he has been banned from most scientific institutions for his visceral and implausible explorations into people's deeps. So maybe not the empirical <laughs> person that we... <laughs> I mean, someone whose book is the Bible too and you were looking for empiricism. His work invites investigation into toxic masculinity, rehabilitation, addiction, horniness and loss via the lens of body horror, the 1920s burlesque scene and the new weird movement. Sam's critically acclaimed debut collection, The Bible 2, Uncovering What God Is to an Addict, is available now through Verve Poetry Press. Other examples of his work can be found at Contained Strong Language Festival, BBC One Extra, various YouTube channels, Spotify, in Rigwalter Press, Nine Arches, Cypher Press, and scribbled in the margins of prophecies predicting the fall of man. Renowned for his frenetic delivery and whirlwind stage presence, his work combines visceral metaphors with frank gutter honesty and dark gallows humour. He has toured the country delivering his weird explorations into addiction and the complicity of privilege in explosions of flailing arms, off-brand hypnotism, projections and cheap magic tricks. A frequent collaborator with artists of all mediums, he has appeared on pop-punk albums alongside dancers, touring with button poets over the land, supporting Disraeli and crumbling theatres at festivals, in art galleries, haunted churches and on most wanted lists. Pushing the boundaries of performance and inviting people along for the wild ride, Sam has fought for and earned the respect of poets and the ire of gods. If Sam invites you to join a cult, it's because he sees more than just a sacrifice in you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, Sam. I think we should applaud Rebecca for that. That was a... Yeah, fair. I'm sorry, I didn't... Marvelous. I have the short form bio because I, I realised that this is just the kind of thing that like a page delivers, like just gets off a scroll and go, hey! So, uh -huh. I apologise, but... <laughs> yeah, hear you, hear you. No, I did that entirely to myself because you did send me the short one and I went, no, this is funny, Good. I'm going to do that. So that's entirely something I did to myself. Oh, Sam, would you like to give us a poem? Yes, I would absolutely love to. I am going to... I like, I like When I get opportunities like this, I like to do poems I don't get an opportunity to always do live. And this is actually from the Bible too. And it's called God, God Kensugi 5 being rooms and it's the mirror of a poem previously in the in the collection but you don't need context for it content warning for grieving it goes like this when the dogs stop biting and the hand that feed becomes a mouth when food is an escape or a defense when the restaurant that we met in mysteriously burns down, when memories become excuses for not being immortal, when the sun neither rises nor sets on either side, but stubbornly stays and says the day, the day is where I belong. When your ribs are less a cage and more an exhibit, 
when tomorrow holds possibility to ransom, when your touch is too late, when the taxonomies of leaving and of hurting become apparent, when you say, I didn't want the world to end, and mean it, when I reconcile to remain an afterthought and never an epitaph, when the porcelain jaw of a moment breaks from not speaking, I will weep and acknowledge that I too have found no respite in God. I will reject gravity's pierced message just this once. I will mouth the mornings we could never afford, talk long in this daily sadness that English is, this strange medicine, this stubborn rhetoric. I will hang my head, bury my hands in unmarked graves and grieve that I will never, I will never touch you again. Thanks. Which bit of the bio does that relate to? The horniness, (laughs) the the loss? The the loss, the loss uh, mainly. Um, But there's, there's like, there's like some, there's some implied horniness in there, I think. I think the, the grieving of horniness once passed is... Is a difficult uh-huh. is a difficult thing to navigate. I'm not saying I've done it well, but I have at least attempted it. <laughs> <laughs> attempted. That's the, that's the idea. Yeah. <laughs> so the question we usually like to kick off with first is asking our guests how you first got into poetry. So with this, I kind of I think as like a lot of people have said, I've always written. I've always I used to kind of tell write stories and like little things like this and then that devolved into like punk lyrics for a band that I was never in and then and then I was kind of dating this person and it wasn't a very healthy relationship but he had a relatively famous tumblr blog and it got me into writing and he would write kind of excerpts and short and short pieces and I would write poetry and it was almost like a cool response thing like I say it's a bit dramatic and everything like this but I was like oh shit poetry I, I kind of like this and then when we broke up and this is this is aging me a bit but he kind of wrote on the wall of someone's Facebook page when it was still a thing of writing on people's wall to stay in touch and sharing this thing for my housemate and was like ah so and so you're gonna love this person listener it was like a really very thinly veiled message to me knowing that i absolutely would be stalking his responses to my housemate and everything like this <laughs> but i was captivated that this guy listener is like an american poet big old mustache so no 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 wonder why i've got and he's literally <laughs> he's literally this works really oh, yeah, well sorry, in audio sure audio descriptive sam does not have quite yeah. as an impressive mustache as dan smith but we are getting there. I mean, Sam has the sort of moustache that would not be out of place in a costume, a Victorian costume drama. <laughs> uh-huh. It's the kind of it's the kind of moustache that gets work. I'm going for like the circus strongman look, and so that if I twirl it up at the edges and wax it a bit, wear a stripy top, I look like I lift barbells, and that's that's what I'm going for. Uh-huh. But. <laughs> How's your Belgian accent? <laughs> I, funnily enough, I watched De- Death on the Nile yesterday. And he's doubled his mustache. It's like he's got two mustaches. It's crazy. It's That's a lot, I, isn't it? I, the, the heights, the heights of which I can yet aspire to. I, I'm really <laughs> like, I provided I can just kind of go with that and go like, cool, we're fine. That's if it's not twiddling out too much, I'm good with it. It's just a, just a mustache to give some. Sorry, this is. Why did you get into your mustache? Into into your mustache. Sorry. It really it really opens the sound, which is great for the audio recording. <laughs> See, that's the idea. It's just because of my loud yelling, and I just need that like want to take out the high ends and lows from when I'm shouting into a mic. That's the purpose of it. It's it's a multi-purpose thing. It actually has a nail file in it and scissors in the other one. Swiss Army mustache. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. What was the question again? <laughs> Poetry. Poetry. That was it. Um, 
This is Dan, Dan Smith, Smith. Yeah. And he's this big American guy. He started off in a hip hop collective called Deep Space Five. And he's basically in this basement in Ontario. And he's got a guitarist with him and he's holding a trumpet in his hand. And it's this beautifully shot black and white thing. And he is just yelling a poem. He is like wailing on the audience, just going, ah, you were a house on fire, but you never understood why. And I'm just like, what the fuck is this? What is this? <laughs> this is poetry. <laughs> and like, so for the first, so I, I was like, I didn't know you could speak poetry out loud. I thought you just had to write really miserable love poems to exes who were then your partners again and so on and so forth. But I kind of literally searched Poetry Bristol and I found an open mic at the Arts House, which sadly is no longer a place. I mean, it's a little basement just off Gloucester Road. And I went there and this is when I was still drinking and I took my very, what is like, not very nice poetry about exes like which i think all boys have this kind of period of going through and not trying to defend it just acknowledging anyway and i got really <laughs> drunk on a bottle of red wine and r stuttering kind of doing that shaking thing of reading reading from this book and mm. performed it and i got heckled by this even drunker man and i was like yeah this is what i want to do this is this is absolutely <laughs> what i want to do um, but I there was something something about it appealed to me and yeah I found but I found I found a community there like I was a shit poet but as everyone is when they start out but I remember a guy came up to me and he had done a poem about zombies and surviving the zombie apocalypse and I was like oh that's quite a funny poem I didn't realize poem could be that and he was like hey I like what you do he was lying but like he was being kind of welcoming <laughs> enough and I think every poem <laughs> I think this is the thing I think every poet needs at the very first instance to hear support endless support once they get mm. to a certain stage yeah. then they can mm. kind of hear the criticisms but if no one had been nice to me i would never have continued to be able to get to a stage where i could look back at my poems and gone yeah. oh shit so it was that that finding of a community and that mm. finding this weird place to actually say verbalize my poems and i was like yeah this is me i'm done this is i'm good now let's let's go let's go so yeah that's <laughs> that's kind of how i got into it i reckon yeah that's it and that was how how long ago was that i would have been 23 so 10 10 years ago and mm -hmm. yeah and I, I kind of for the next <clears throat> three or four years I was just going into that same place every single Friday night getting ridiculously drunk and writing progressively worse and worse poetry but I would start to see kind of <laughs> other poets come in and this was I, again I, because because Bristol's so much smaller than London it's a lot more mm. um almost incestuous kind of scene, like in the, in the way that it's very much in each other's pockets. While there are sometimes cliques and stuff like this, in the early days, the Arts yeah. House Open Mic was, you go here to try stuff out. And it was a place where, like, people would yeah. just kind of come along and you'd get a lot of musicians as well, like magicians, like loads of various different people, all hosted by this big American beat poet called Jeremy Toombs. Proper bib overalls, like big beard, looked like he was from the beat generation. And yeah, kind of met people there and they're like, oh, you should come to this, you should come to a slam, you should try try other stuff. And that was how I kind of met Malika Kagode and, and Danny Pandolfi. When we started, when we were in that kind of very first era, the old Bristol poetry scene, which was like the, the kind of old, the old cabaret almost so like people people like johnny fluffy punk and like live talk and like all these kind of people and lucy english we're all just kind of going we're going on to different and better things so there was a real dirt like there was just no events there were a few events here and there but like mm. danny and mal separately but at the same time kind of like we're gonna yeah. go in and set up our own events and so i was just going 
I'd love to help that. Let me be involved. Let me be of use. I can prove my value to you. I, I have value. I have worth. So, like, I... <laughs> you were, you did the smart thing of realizing that the, that you don't want to be like winning the slam. You want to just be like running the right, running exactly, the thing. Exactly. Exactly. So I was just, I, I just kind of like, if you me, if you let me get into your events and I don't have to pay, I'll put out the chairs. I'll do the doors. Yeah. I'll get up and do your open mic. I'll whatever. So I kind of got into it through that and found an even bigger community and like it kind of spiraled from there and like yeah there's kind of other things happened and i realized oh, i need to get sober like and i wrote and recorded a poem called sober in january 2016 i think and then recorded it never heard anything about it lapsed as one is wont to do and then danny messaged me in april like halfway through a drinking binge and he was like hey just so you know we're gonna like release that poem and i was like ah shit hmm. i'm gonna be held accountable by myself <laughs> like, like i can't kind of i can't kind of get rid of this put it up online and i was just like i remember i was sat with this girl playing drunk scrabble where you have to make up words and convince the other person that it is a real word and like yeah the video went up and i was like i can't i can't drink anymore so i went sober again and now i'm like oh i'm being held accountable so now like my sobriety is very intrinsically ah. linked with the art stuff of it and ah. it's mm -hmm. i always kind of say i don't go to the aa i don't do this but i also do spend a lot of time in rooms with strangers talking about my feelings so really <laughs> yeah. it's it's the same it's the same process it's that same searching for connection while being able to kind yeah. of almost therapize it therapize it that's probably not a word but like th get the therapeutic necessity of talking and articulating your mm. feelings after having sat with them and considered them and thought about them and then being like here's how to make this art but then obviously moving on i don't entirely yeah. condone using poetry as therapy i think also use the resources available to you where you can it should be a point of last resort but i didn't know that back then because they didn't have handy in infographics on instagram telling me my uh -huh. anyway I'm, I'm getting off track but that's basically how i got into poetry and kind of <laughs> yeah what what drew me on there i hope that gives an answer i was gonna ask <laughs> yeah i was gonna ask how your sobriety affects your poetry but it sounds like your poetry is, is the one <laughs> keeping you to account with the sobriety which which I think is, un is unusual, right, though. It is unusual because normally we think of kind of ah, getting a bit drunk and making art like that. That kind of like the dissolute poets, the interruption of the man mm. from Porlock, right? Mm. It was the guy yeah. that turned yeah. up to say hi to him to make sure he was okay. That's fucking yeah. fuck that poem. Absolutely. But he was having a lovely, he was having a lovely opium. He was off his we face, yeah. Yeah, we have this idea of actually loosening up on drugs or bar booze mm. is, is, is the way to make art. So I think it's really interesting that for you, you're saying actually, no, it's the opposite. Yeah, thing. massively. It's, it, I, I, I mean, yeah, there's, I'm not going to, I don't want to trash anyone's process and say if you drink to, to write or get high to write or anything like that. But for me, this is like a, a constant examination of why I'm doing it and like you know, I can explore various avenues through that but I'm just like now I've got a recording out mm. there people, with people commenting and going I watch this every day and I'm like I don't fucking watch this every day and I wrote it what are you doing my friend Cal yeah. has, has a poem that's like 10 things not to ask a, a poet at an open mic night and one of them is please dear god do not ask a poet for psychiatric help we are not professionally trained to give it but when you when you have that kind of stuff out there, you're like, no, I kind of have to stay like mm. this. I'm not doing it just because I said I would, so I would do it. But it's just, it's a useful additional form of accountability, I suppose, on top of everything else and all the other yeah. work that goes into it. Yeah. Definitely. And as we kind of mentioned in your bio, you've collaborated with loads of different artists, sort of music, dancers, visual artists. You were mentioning that you, you kind of do painting in your own right. I wonder sort of what, 
impact that had on your work and if there were any kind of particular collaborations or particular art forms that you kind of re- that really stood out for you as being really good and productive i think it's for me for me the the fun they're all they're all ridiculously fun in different ways working with bands because i kind of like as i think every poet said like there's something about the musicality of stuff that that's almost how my brain works when i'm writing mm. this stuff it starts off as punk lyrics anyway and it kind of devolves into that so working with bands is like easy i can do it i love doing it it's my favorite thing to do it's so much fun but it's not particularly a challenge for me it, it's it's going mm. okay one two three yeah yeah right, syllable count blah 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 the more interesting yeah. ones for me are working, I've done it I think twice or three times now, is working with dancers and I've done it mm. two ways. One is where I literally turned up on the night and they said, right, here's this troupe of dancers and they're gonna interpret your work as you do it. And I'm like going, did you tell them how fast I go? Did, did you tell, did you let them? <laughs> It's going to be you hardcore know, dancing. Like, That's it, the way. If I can get a mosh pit poetry show, I will die happy. That's all I want. <laughs> but that was really interesting because I kind of had to tune into how these guys were responding to my work. So I'm like being blown away by their artistry, watching it, and almost, I don't know if you've ever done it where you've self-edited as you're performing a piece and you kind of go, that needs to change. Uh-huh. Like working to make it a bit more bigger pause faster here more dynamics mm. louder up down like where where mm. and I'm, I'm quite physical with my movements anyway so like i'm moving forward to the mic mm. and then back away and then watching them reflect that and go yeah you guys get it this is sick <laughs> and another time it was where it was we we rehearsed beforehand and they like commissioned me to write a piece about the desalination of the ocean i mean the brief was a little bit bigger but i was like this is where i'm yeah. focusing on apocalypse and then yeah. working with them and again going how does my work feed into what you're doing? What, what, mm. what motions is this going to work? And it makes it makes your mind think. And like bird speed, Kinshasa is a fantastic example of a mm. poet who embodies the physicality of dancing. That those two are mm. intertwined. And when you look at the work that mm. she does, you're like, you understand this physicality on a technical level like on a and so like you look at stuff like that and that's where you get the different interests from and you're like oh yeah but yeah i'd say definitely that's the kind of mm. the most interesting most challenging ones to do and when i look like i say when i look at sapphire i'm just like teach me your ways please teach me your ways <laughs> it's just fascinating to kind of watch watch how they do it and learn from them i think this question isn't on the list but which punk bands are you most into <laughs> i've got to ask that. i can't i can't not uh-huh. So I default to early naughty scrams, which is like so, okay. like stuff like Circle Takes a Square and Orchid and Love Lost, but also like earlier the the Captain Jazz and like Rights of Spring and stuff like this and more modern stuff. Mm-hmm. I even steal a bit from. Have you heard of Fresh? They're no. incredible. Like in- English punk at the minute is just incredible. They basically gone. There's no point in cis men in punk anymore. We're done with that. We've had 60 years of this. Let's fuck it all up. And so, like, you've just got this wonderful array of, like, queer people coming through. And you're like, thank God, this is... But Fresh have a song that go that I've... I, okay. I, rec- I recommend them. Sorry, I, I, I'm tangent tangenting now. They have a song that starts, I am valued, I am loved. And then it goes, I will get revenge on everyone who's done me wrong, who's done me wrong. And like I've started that as a core cool response thing at Verve because I'm just like, <laughs> that's the kind of energy I want. Like I want this ominous positivity of going, you can't fuck me up, I will fuck me up. This is, you know, that like, that real positivity from a like place of defiance and uh-huh. 
shit like that. Stuff that you can dance to, sing along to. It's that level of stuff that anything, anything loud and noisy and danceable, I think. Okay, we need to have a chat about Joe and the shit boys, but maybe not right, and maybe not on the mic There right is now. There is an alternative universe in which Laurie runs the Dead Darlings punk podcast. Dead Darlings punk podcast, I like that. Yeah, right. I mean, listen, you want to do it as a spin-off, do it as a spin-off, mate. That'd be great. Um, we have enough projects, Rebecca. We're too fucking busy. To be yeah, we're struggling with this podcast. one, frankly. Right. What's um, the next question that's actually on the list? So, yeah, you, you've touched on you are have a very energetic and physical poetry stage presence how much of that is rehearsed does it come about <laughs> it's not it's not rehearsed in the kind of way like i know i'm going to gesticulate wildly with my left hand for this part and like with this part mm. it's more i think i move my body more in terms of how how my dynamic is so like i really enjoy quiet 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 and then loud as hell and like going between those two extremes and like finding middle grounds and stuff and with that with the way i perform anyway i tend to move away from the mic like this and get bigger when i'm louder and then when i'm being quieter it makes more sense to come closer to it so it's it's more form than more function than form almost but it's not rehearsed as such some stuff i'll be like okay, actually, it makes more sense if at this stage I do this particular move, but that's only because I initially started being quite physical because someone was like, oh, you, it's really interesting. You seem really nervous and you're shaking and you, you don't seem like you know, you, you know what you're doing. And I think that's a really interesting performance technique. And I'm like, technique? <laughs> yeah, technique. So I just kind of like took that nervous yeah. energy that I always had and lent into it and exaggerated yeah. it. And like, again, to reference Sophia, it's like knowing your mythology, you exaggerate you exaggerate the things about yourself to form this thing. And like my feet are normally dead still, but the rest of my body is like a flaily, wacky, wacky, flaily, inflatable tube man. So it's not rehearsed <laughs> as such, but sometimes I will go, I'm going to get close to the audience and try and seduce them at this point and then go, ah, just kidding. I'm, <laughs> you can't catch me. I'm being coy now. I'm sort of thing. I, I, I hope that explains it, but I don't know if it does at all. A little bit. Yeah. I would also like to just emphasize for the readers at home that this is, you, you come closer to the mic when you want to be quiet, but then when you want to be loud, you get further away. And that is how you do it, kids. No one shout on a fucking mic. There is no excuse. It is terrible accessibility <laughs> with everybody's sound levels then the sound person will turn it right down possibly and then the next just just don't i just i just want to underline that extremely teachable moment thank you <laughs> that's all right i should i should also stress that because it's not well rehearsed there have been times where i fucked up and i i do when it's in bristol turf i'm like you might need to ride the levels just a little bit with me, but people kind of go, I can I can see from your movements. But yeah, don't shout directly into a mic unless you're doing a punk show, in which case it's kind of expected and like people go, oh, poetry, but it's punk. That's fine. We get it. We, we, we understand. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Just the techies of Bristol like, oh, Sam's coming. Yeah, yeah. Turn it down, turn no, it they down. Just, they just turn it off. They're like, Sam can, like, while, while I'm very deaf, so, like, I struggle when people are off mic and have uh-huh. bad mic technique, I also know how to project my voice enough to uh-huh. be able to go, we're just going to turn it off. Uh-huh. It's Sam. It doesn't matter. He's going to mm-hmm. leave it, let him do his thing, and then we'll come back to the real poetry where people understand yeah. what they're doing and have a stage presence and a focused, not like him. <laughs> I don't know if they think that. That's that's horribly self-effacing of me, but maybe it's true. Sorry, this is a tangent. You guys know when I did process the other day, there were two mics and I used them both like as part of the set. 
Like someone the other day was like, "Oh, there's no mic at this at this gig. How are you going to cope? You usually have two. Is that am I getting a reputation as like a two mic poet? Is that a thing? Either it was in your rider, <laughs> old lorry two mics over there. <laughs> how are you? Yeah, using, gotta have two mics. How are you using two mics? What was the what was the setup there? Were you just like going from between? Them? I was yeah, switching between them. There was one side on and one nice. front on, and I mean, switching between them. Laurie has a found poem that is a series of text messages or the last what well, the last kind of couple last sort of kickers and he's got more and more mannered when he does this poem. It's he's very to short Stuart one, Lee. But he'll sort of do it's the, <laughs> the the pauses. Right, he'll do the uh-huh. first text and then kind of Yeah, like lean back hold the microphone and sort of lean back like a comedian and sort of walk away to the back of the stage. I quite like going of... and sitting on the bar <laughs> coming yeah, back. I'd, like sort of smirk at the audience a bit, come back and, and often switch his microphone when he comes back. And it's, you know, this, this poem is like sort of six lines of text on a page of that. Goes on for about three minutes. Oh, yeah, I really agree. agree. That. Yeah. That, yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talking of energies and your energies and different energies. So the Bible 2 is out now, the sequel to what was quite a good book. How do you take all that energy and kind of bring it to putting your poems on a page? It was a kind of a challenge, I think. I like first off because I'm being a bit sacrilegious with it. This like think I'm, this is a profane text and there's energy writing through it. But one thing that I was kind of I think while writing it and editing it and everything like this, I came across a poet called Daniel Bozutsky who was awarded the American Poets Award back in 2012, I think, and his poetry is fascinating it's the guy is the guy is like a genius he's like a lecturer in the various amounts of things in terms of like politics of america and like the just so various much one of those polymath guys who knows everything but you read his poems Mm. and they are blunt as fuck they are like they are just like hammers and it's this this repetition of an image Mm. and i kind of from that i took the okay like there are ways to if you think about what what the energy does to the audience how that is interpreted for me it's just a release of energy as much as anything else and because of the punk background that's kind of how i assume poetry must be done but you kind of go what is it as like someone who is ostensibly like a performance poet like i would much rather be in that that category than any other if we have to categorize people how do i instill assuming people can't take me home with them they can take my book home with them and go how do, how do they, they can, can try they can always try like <laughs> I, I as a rule of thumb i try not to date poets but you know i that i'm a flirty guy that doesn't mean don't but audience members <laughs> hey, i said nothing i said nothing <laughs> it's, it's yeah it's it's about trying to from 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 him i kind of like found this way of being unrelenting with with like prose and i love i love a blocky prose poem and like going what does this do to the speed of the reader and i love justifying text and then space barring it out Hmm. in a prose poem so that you actually Hmm. include line breaks in a prose poem and again this adds a sense of rhythm and it includes that aspect of going oh shit oh shit oh shit and then with the dynamic aspects again Hmm. you're looking at like if i was performing this and there's one piece in there where it starts off like I, my editor kind of hated me because a lot of it is like stupid, like kerning, like lines all together. And it's like, you can't do this. People will not be able to read this. And I'm like, okay. But yeah, you just kind of like all spaced together, like really slow. And then in the middle, it kind of slows mm. out. So it's hugely spaced out. And then you mm. make the text like a little bit different. You're looking at the ways to enforce a kind of form of reading 
which I, which I think like mm. with with typical page poetry, it's kind of they do it with line breaks, they do it with like everything mm. like this, and finding a way to translate that unrelenting nature of the sensation of the performance and then enforce those pauses without just relying on the typical poetry thing was very much the thing. I was like, let's see how we can do this. Let's like mess things up and kind mm. of make it. Cause I don't think I'm as good a page poet as I am a performance poet. Like I don't have, I, I'm working on it, perpetually working on it, but I don't have the kind of way to do it. So I have to do it in my own way, which is go, right. This poem does this. How do I, translate this in like a visual frame of reference I can understand and go right it's like this and I don't think it like kind of always works but yeah. I think hopefully that that's how I translate it and I hope people kind of go that sounded like a like a panic attack and I'm like that's exactly what that poem was about great yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean it's like yeah it's, that's how I kind of view it one of the things I've one of the like only things that's ever like really hit me when I when about like layout and structure on the page was when I was reading something that was nothing to do with poetry at all, but was comic books. And it was like, your, your aim is to control the, the eye of the reader as they go across the page and you're controlling that. And so maybe you're going to frame in this way. Maybe you're going to frame in that way. Maybe you're going to have a big picture. Maybe you're going to have a small panel and like thinking about it, like layouts of comic books just completely changed the way I thought about it. And it was like, Oh, right. Okay. And like, it sounds like a lot of the stuff you're doing, like, fits with oh, okay. that like you just just think about it like comic books instead of, like where do you want the eye to go to? like what do you want them to see that's what it, yeah, that's what yeah, it is exactly exactly um, that. like dave, what's dave gibbons with watchmen and like the kind of the nine the mm. nine panel format and it only breaks when it's a double page yeah. spread and yeah i've tried to make the book mm. work so that if you were to lay it out end on end it has that symmetry aspect in it as well from like a structural point of view as well as a thematic point of view. Yeah, but yeah, comic books, absolutely. Tell us about the Bible 2, not in terms <laughs> of layout, but just <laughs> tell us about it. You can talk about layout again if you really want. I could listen for hours, but... I actually wrote a couple of other collections which I submitted various places and they were rejected, rightly so. I'm very glad the places rejected them. And then I was kind of... I started writing this thing. Funnily enough, after I did a I did a shoot with Muddy Feet for mm. I can't remember what poem it was. Oh my god, that's terrible. I think it was sequel. I want to say it was sequel or or something like that. And they were like going, ah, oh, this. They released it and they put this tagline out on the on the Twitter and the Facebook. Going, this poem full of religious. Im-. That was it. Tenets of faith. So it's understandable why they said like why they said like <laughs> oh, it's full of religious in- imagery. And I had been like. I wasn't aware of that. And then I kind of went back through all my work and I was like, Jesus Christ, Sam, you talk about God a lot. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, and when you're kind of like putting a collection together and putting stuff together, you kind of start seeing these threads. So it was muddy feet that went, this is a lot of religion. And I went back through my poems and I was like, there is a lot of religion. There was like about 40, I think probably about 30, I don't know how many poems, pages wise, for, like 30 or 40 pages mm. of stuff that I was like, little bit of tweaking we can change this into religion and I was just like going through what kind of where it was going and like really reinforcing that and like leaning into that idea and I wrote it and like I was like oh shit there is so much and like I I say this quite frequently when talking about it like I thought it was fairly normal for people to go to bible camp as a as a child turns out this is like a relatively unique experience but it was it was it was Quakers it so it wasn't like I, I call it bible camp but so it, it was something that like 
we went to Quaker meetings when we went up to see my granny. My dad was a Quaker. My sister is a, mm. is a practicing Quaker. And my mum's Catholic, which was like, so we went to church, like when we weren't at Quaker meetings. And mm. so this was always like this big part of my life. And I think when I was a kid, I got kicked out when I was like 17, which is entirely the right thing to do. I was a drunken little shit. And I, I went mm. to live with my nan, who was very compassionate. And I like, looked after me for when I was 17. But like it all throughout my kind of, teenage years i was pushing back against this idea of faith like losing people and going oh i have to believe in a very edgy atheist thing like it kind of that was ingrained in me quite early so like i was just pulling all these ideas and kind of looking at the quaker religion and the quaker faith which i still to this day think is probably one of the most beautiful examples of christianity i am biased obviously but also like looking that up <laughs> against going actually the quaker's history isn't entirely like innocent religion mm. history isn't entirely innocent and it was trying to find this way of going especially with an addiction i don't know if this, the same is true of you like you mentioned sobriety earlier there's this kind of thing you have to look for the higher power and i've never found a higher power like i'm i'm not an atheist as such i i, I believe there is a god something up there and i'll pray to it but i don't describe it as being like this christian god this this anything god i'm just going there's probably something above that but that's not yeah so it was it was it was finding that and going there's so much interesting shit that I can write about. There's so much interesting history that I can find. There's so many interesting metaphors, like rich seams of imagery, apocalyptica, apocrypha, like all the saints, like all the ways in which worship is is codified, the way which faith is weaponized, the way that like queer language has kind of just been erased from all these historic, a lot of Middle Eastern communities mm -hmm. that had this rich culture of queerness and gender bentness that when the Bible and the religion and all these things kind of came through, it were like... Sorry, no. I like there's there's so much stuff mm -hmm. in there that I kind of I've just kind of gone. Here's a fleeting reference to it. Here's a fleeting reference to it, while trying to tie mm -hmm. in my own experience. And then I was like, well, I've got to call it the Bible too, obviously, to <laughs> to get off the back of like one of the biggest franchises, which quite frankly has been crying out for an extended universe uh -huh. for some time. And yeah. yeah, it's like when John Osborne released his book called the New Blur album. <laughs> <laughs> it's troll two My all over again. This is slightly. This is... <laughs> it is troll two all over again. You're right. <laughs> uh, I love that. The devil's in the detail, but God's in the metaphors by accident. I that's quite right. Like that. so... And where's the best place for listeners to, to be They put? can pick it up from my website. I still have a few copies because I've completely fallen out of the habit of getting gigs. Like I, after the pandemic, like people were best me go, hey, do you want to do a gig from your bedroom? I'm like, yes, I would love to. And now I'm just going, like, well, <laughs> I'm going to do a tour and I'm just, I'm so disorganized. Yeah. I'm just like, I need to go through my list of like contacts who said, hey, by the way, when the pandemic's over, like hit us up for an IRL gig. So yeah. as it stands... I have a shitload of copies which you can buy directly from me. However, if like cost is going to be a thing, they're ten ninety nine. But from Verve, do a ebook which is four pounds, I believe. And Verve will often do like deals and stuff like this. And hopefully, my publisher doesn't listen to this. But if you are really, really strapped for cash, I still have the PDF. And if you really want to read it, like I'd much, <laughs> I'd much rather people have it. And then down the line, when you're better off come buy a copy and give it to a mate or something like that so whatever whatever works nice amazing so we always like to kind of wrap up by asking our guests if they have a piece of writing advice or a prompt they'd like to share mm. with our listeners with this i think there's so there's so many different bits of writing advice like the basic ones still hold true like read other stuff and like if you're ever stuck for inspiration 
go and read a Joel Taylor book and write a Joel Taylor poem. You are never mm. going to be able to write a Joel Taylor poem if you're not Joel Taylor. But then after you've done that, go and read Ocean Vong and then write an Ocean Vong poem and like do this and keep doing this with each poem. By the time you've accumulated the writing styles of enough different poets, no one's going to know that you've been stealing from them the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, don't steal lines direct, but like, I think... Yeah. If you're ever stuck, like, I pick up a poetry book and go, fuck, there's a poem straight away. Like, I read a line, I'm like, cool, okay, mm -hmm. so that. And never, yeah. ever, ever think that you will be able to remember a line. Write it down when it comes to you. You will not remember it. Midnight lines are the best lines. <laughs> so many. <laughs> also, I have written, I woke up in the morning and read my notes app and been like, I don't really think anyone's ready for a gangbang of spiders. But... Uh, yeah but like still still write it down so like that that kind of stuff steal profusely but also if you are going to steal credit wisely and make sure you're referencing all mm. your inspirations because i i accidentally didn't and accidentally ripped off a poet that i very much admire and then later supported and i was like going i forgot oh. that i stole this line from you as a like initially as a prompt that came back <laughs> into the poem in the re-edits and i was just like Fuck. No. Um, oh, yeah. Michael Rosen has got a whole poem about how he once stole someone else's poem as a kid and sent it into a competition and won. Oh, yeah. And then, as an adult <laughs> poet, he had a kid write to him going, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh no. And Michael Rosen wrote back going, Don't worry, mate. I've done it. <laughs> <laughs> Just paying it forward with poems. Gorgeous. Who was Gorgeous. it? But not for the not for broadcast. It was Savannah Brown. You can oh, broadcast okay. it out there. Like if she if she's listening in, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't <laughs> think there are any recordings of said poem with a reference in it. And I have gone back and excised it from okay. my book. But you know, growing up in Tumblr days, <laughs> they were one of the biggest poets. Go, I mean, still are. So yeah, yeah. Cool. Amazing. Before we ask you to do another poem to sort of play yourself out, is there anything you would like to plug? No. <laughs> me. Just validate me, please. No, I, I, I host I host Verve a Poetry Night, which is quarterly night in Birmingham. We are on tomorrow, which is, so that'll probably be, be missed, but we are on once every quarter. We're back for Verve Poetry Festival, which has Malika Kagode, Manira Pilgrim, and a host of other acts. And we've got a band, if you're in Bristol, I'm supporting two of my friends' book launches, Josie Alford's at the beginning of next month and Aisha Humphreys at the end of February. And I'm also doing I'm doing a set with a noise band who I did a project with over lockdown. So if you really like harsh dissonant noise, which I've realised the Venn diagram of poets who like harsh dissonant noise is very small. But if you want to come along for some harsh noise <laughs> and some poetry and hopefully some like orchestral chanting, I'm doing I'm doing a show with beheading which is on, I don't know when it is actually, 25th I think, 25th of February. But yeah, you can find me on my on my socials, which is Sam J Grudgings, at pretty much everything on Twitter, Instagram. You can follow me in real life, but I'm down in Bristol and mm -hmm. it's, it's a bit awkward because I live with other people and they're like, Sam, can you please stop saying that? That's a bit of a safety issue. And I'm like, I'm not giving out my address <laughs> anymore. But, but yeah, no, I, I just, I just <laughs> come see me at Verve. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Would you like to share another poem with our listeners? Yes, I would. And I'm going to do a brand new one, which is new maybe shit. it's the wrong... New shit. shit! New shit, exactly. This is kind of the ending of a... Or the middle of a trilogy of poems about going to the Museum of Left Behind. So 
like content warning for slight body horror and an erection at the end. See, Whoops. let's see how we can get those together. Um, yeah, this is called slow decomposition for an extant virtue. It was need time at the museum, and the body offered skin respite. We are trying to consume all the exhibits before the roof caves into its cravings for the floor and underfunding. The fucked bullet hole of an honest mouse coveted the financial planning and artistry of better days. The scale of it truly awed us. You unravelled it to see if it really would cover three tennis courts as the plaque beside it proclaimed, and it did, all tongue song and vain tapestry. No one stopped you to say what a monstrous thing that was to do, but some of the younger visitors complained they were unable to play along. Rooms empty of patrons became saints in their bro-ghost way, scuffed lino and marble begging for polish. Between the floors are carefully created bodies, free from identification, waiting to be wanted. Another ex calls, landline loss and underfucked, offers preventative measures, knowing I never wanted to stop, knowing I am trying to understand the captions left by the glass cases, cold calling the void just to listen to it breathing as it falls asleep. I apologise for the intrusion, saying I really have to take this. But you are too oil-painted into the walls of this institution to do anything other than murmur assent and allow yourself to be gawked at by the voyeurs who call this culture. Having given my heart in its entirety to the history that we built, I simply don't have it in me to say that I am only amenable to curios, printed dialogues and artefacts. History kept that way. I have incisions in my pockets to ensure thrifty spending, to keep my hands from running their stupid empty mouths at all the distance not recorded in this goddamn gallery this graven year. This GP appointment queue of a life. This month of meal deals fucked budgeting. It hasn't been helping, but what has? I cut you gently from the gilt frame. We make to leave. To abandon the inheritance of the passing of time, the customer satisfaction survey waiting at the end was just the curator hanging priapic, hoping for some recognition. We kissed him on either cheek and thanked him for the experience, but left before he made us into a donation. But <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. Whoa, you alright? Uh, my, Was that my... deliberate? Give me one second. By all means, keep that in. <laughs> that was the most dramatic wow. ending to a poem that we've had on this show. I don't quite know how to describe what happened to our listeners. You almost fell forward over your laptop. Just, no, I'm so not quite sure what happened. Give you a, the, uh, I don't know if you can see this. This is the chair, your chair go? that I was on. But oh, it uh-huh. Yeah, my ch- your chair is broken. <laughs> this is a, this is a chair that I found in like a charity shop that was my desk for the whole of the pandemic, and I just leaned back like a little bit too much, oh, and now it's gone. Wow. It's gone for good. Never mind. Dead Darling's podcast destroying chairs since 2020. <laughs> but I believe wow. I believe you leaned back wow. with headphones plugged into laptop, so the whole view we had <laughs> went sideways as the well. The whole laptop just and- went flying. <laughs> Our visual was just a blur. I mean, it was an incredible ending. I I might have to find out if there's a way to extract the video from this. (laughs) 
when I say I do physical <laughs> performance, I don't fuck around. Yes. <laughs> this month's book is Bless the Daughter Raised by a Voice in Her Head by Warsan Shire, chosen by Rebecca. Rebecca, why did you choose this book? Um, just because like Warsan Shire is one of those poets where the first time you encounter one of her poems um and it's usually home or mm-hmm. for women who are difficult to love um you just go fuck that's so fucking good um <laughs> you know it's one of those words it's beautiful and it hurts a little bit that you didn't you didn't write it Do you know what i like it, it's just it's just so beautiful mm. and clever and simple like it's one she's definitely a poet that i feel like or those poems in particular are poems you want to give to other people and go look this is the thing i want to say hmm. uh, and i've definitely i've written out like cards to friends who've been through shitty breakups with for women who are difficult to love in it hmm. i love her stuff so yeah when she and she's kind of she's been around on the scene for a very very long time um she's kind of just one of those kind of upper echelon poets and then, yeah. actually, this is the first time she's had her own book, even though like, like her poems have been published in first places. First full collection. Mm. First full collection. And she's just this very well-known poet and very well-known outside of poetry. And I just was like, yeah, I want to read this yeah. and yeah. I want to talk about it. And my mum bought it for <laughs> yeah. me for Christmas. So here we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the work with Beyonce was was quite a good reason to for it to break into the mainstream that was a taster for our book club mini episode which will be out later this month wherever you get your podcasts in a moment we're going to have a poem from joss affleck to play us out but before we do that what should our listeners be looking out for this month laurie have you got any recommendations yeah so this month uh i had heard that bath mag was having some troubles with funding but they seem to have got those sorted and they're accepting submissions again this month you can find out more from the 1st of february at their website which is bath b-a-t-h mag which is m-a-double-g not one g two g's it's a two g magazine um so that's bathmag.com and you can find out all about their submissions process there. Amazing. Rebecca, what have you got? So my recommendation this month is uh, Biggin, and you should apply for it because you fucking should. Everybody should. It's the Poetry Tent at Glastonbury Festival. Um, mm-hmm. So this oh, is well, I... what it says on the tin. It's, it's the Poetry Tent at Glastonbury Festival. They put out an open call every year. It's now open and they are looking for applications um and it's it's a fast turnaround stage they want individual artists and duos and people who have like a minimum of tech support there's stage time for one person spoken word shows of up to an hour but then there's also just like you know people coming up and doing a poetry set so to apply you need to send youtube links or videos you need three of them or up to three of them and it doesn't matter how good the videos are but they you know the performance needs to be good and a well-crafted bio. And Glastonbury Festival is June 21st to 25th uh, this year. Uh, they pay a fee, but it is very small, but you get a ticket to Glastonbury. Like you get mm-hmm. to go to Glastonbury and you can you can camp uh, backstage by the tent. And uh, yeah, so you should do it. You should apply. It's a genuine thing. It genuinely happens. You can you can play Glastonbury, uh, which is <laughs> always fun. The closing date is the 3rd of March. To find out more, go to poetryandwordsblog.wordpress.com. That sounds sketchy, and like it's not to do with Glastonbury. I promise you it is. Uh, yes, go apply. Go do it. My recommendation 
before you apply to it is double check if you applied to it before and which poems you sent last time uh, because I realised I'd done it before when I applied for it this, this time and was about to send the same links as I did before. But I didn't this time because I checked my sent emails. That is a process. <laughs> so do that. Hannah, have you got a recommendation for us? Yes. The 2023 Writers' Award run by Creative Future is open and it's closing on the 14th of May, so you've got a bit of time. Um, for poetry entries, they're looking for 50 lines max on the theme of X to be interpreted however you want, just the letter X. Um, but Creative Futures is Creative Future is aimed at underrepresented groups. Um, so find out more on their website to find out if you are one of the underrepresented groups that they're working with. But they they have pretty hmm. pretty damn good cash prize, but cash prizes, but also like mentoring and support and help to develop so it's not just you get a feather and you have and you can say you've won that one like they can actually help you um and you can find out more at creativefuture.org.uk nice okay so anything you guys want to plug sure you can find me on facebook and instagram at laurie eves poet which is l-a-u-r-i-e-e-a-v-e-s poet or on Twitter at Mr. L. Eves, M-R-L-E-A-V-E-S. My book Biceps is out on Burning Eye Books or in brick red cassette form on buried vinyl. You can pick up both versions from my website, which is my name, laurieeves.com, and stream the audio version wherever you stream audio. Hannah? I am Hannah Chutzpah on all the socials. Chutzpah, C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H. I picked a nice, easy-to-spell stage name. I am also the host of Insight, which is a queer spoken word night, which is mostly online and free. So go look for Insight, spelled as in Insight A Riot um, Cabaret on all the socials. And uh, depending on when this is coming out, for LGBT History Month, we're doing both a writing workshop online and then a gig. Um, So go, go look us up. Insight Cabaret and me, Rebecca. Where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and TikTok as at Rebecca K. Cooney. Instagram as at any name but Becky. Facebook as Rebecca Cooney-Poet. And my website is RebeccaKCooney.wordpress.com. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Dead Darlings Pod, Facebook at Dead Darlings Podcast. And you can email us at deaddarlingspodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support the podcast, you are already doing that by listening. Thank you very much for your ear holes. We've appreciated them while you've lent them to us. Uh, but if you'd like to do it in a more kind of financial version, you can donate to our coffee page. So uh, ko-fi.com forward slash Dead Darlings Podcast. Or if you don't feel like doing that, absolutely fine. If you can leave us a rating and a review wherever you get your podcast and help us spread the word, that would be also great. Apple Podcast is the place to go, but wherever you get your podcast is also great. Before we head off, I just want to say thank you to our guest, Sam J. Grudgings, for joining us, to Joss Affleck, whose work you'll be hearing just shortly, uh, to my co-hosts, Laurie and Hannah, to Texas Radio for our theme music, and of course, to you guys for listening. Thanks very much. Bye. 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 My granddad is a time machine. Inside are his memories. Each one just a switch away. My granddad there in his tuck staring out of the window in the willow tree the day before his wedding. 1959. My granny is here. 
The memory young in the long white dress, smiling back at him, excitement strung, they danced together, locked in the moment. My granddad's time machine. Not a hot tub TARDIS or a DeLorean car, instead of a rusty old tin with a broken control bar. It is stuck on the same day. Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day, every day, the same day, the day before his wedding. You see, if you repeat something over and over again, it loses its meaning. For example, flux capacitor, flux capacitor, flux capacitor, flux capacitor, flux capacitor, flux capacitor, tux. Wedding. If you just wake up, 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 one day you'll forget why, you see? If you repeat something over and over again, it loses its meaning. Jocelyn, 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 Jocelyn is my name. Words like fireflies, meaningless knowledge. He remembers the intricate anatomy of a ship's engine, but he can't remember his daughter's name. Grow, forget the politics and live. Listen, exhale. Sit alone under that willow tree, laugh on your own. He throws words around like I'm proud of you. I love you. I look him in the eyes and count down the ten seconds it takes until he asks me who I am. Please remember. Remember a mop in a dress. Thick tendrils of hair propped perfectly into place. My granddad's secret girlfriend. My sister and I would watch in awe as they glide across the room, stick in arm. Enough to crack open the walls to our ribs and let the wind tickle our hearts to the floor. Remember those long summer days with Robinson's popsicles in the freezer, sticky fingers sunset drenched until the sun licked the sky again. My granddad is a time machine. His body a museum, a myriad of memories, laced in gold frames and mounted on the walls of his mind that we used to visit. I miss it. His gaunt face leaves no trace of him. A cancer no one understood. It starts off with small things like, was the car red or blue? And ends up with, are you my daughter or wife? It is the cancer of your mind. It is more evil than manipulative, more maleficent than just malignant, more patient than cancer. But it claims just as many patients. Inside my granddad's time machine, jubilant chaos. His memories drunk on a wine they don't remember drinking. His memories slurring their words, staggering across the wedding dance floor, lifting their wine glasses for more. Every day the same. Watching the way the willow tree sings in the breeze the day before his wedding. Echoing love and excitement and all things light and that when he gets on his leads... Watching the way the willow tree sings in the breeze the day before his wedding, 
echoing love and excitement and all things light, that when he gets on his knees and listens, he can hear the roar of the leaves rolling in his memories. To him, every day is 1,440 minutes of no visits, of how to breathe and how to walk. The nurses help him with his knife and fork. They wipe his behind and act as if they do not mind. The wedding is tomorrow. But I like to think somewhere a man in the tux is marrying a woman and they're together, dancing, taken by the music. My granddad is a time machine.